This is IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. I'm your host, Lee Llewellyn. For this podcast, I'm talking for a second time with Leslie Wagner, the senior principal with Genovis. Uh, our first podcast conversation concerned Indiana's incentives to attract data centers. But certainly since that first conversation, a lot has changed, and I don't need to detail the changes because we've all been living through them. Um, But uh, as I've been talking with uh, our members around the state, there have been a lot of questions about how uh, the site selection process may be changing because of the pandemic. Uh, And so Leslie's been kind enough to agree to chat with me again and talk about some of the changes she's been seeing. So thank you, Leslie, for uh, talking to me again and for uh, agreeing to make your thoughts available. Thanks, Lee. I certainly appreciate the opportunity to connect with you again and the IEDA audience. So let's start at the macro level, uh, sort of looking big picture uh, at some of the changes that have occurred in the American economy. And for you as a site selector, you know, what trends, what changes uh, have you been paying particular attention to? Well, great, great question. And I, I think what I would say is as a team, we are really trying to pay attention to it all. Um, there are so many far reaching implications, everything from how do we all stay safe? How do we best support our existing clients? And what pivots should we as a company uh, make understanding that this pandemic has and and likely will continue to have far-reaching impacts on on the economy? As as I think about companies that have been impacted, um, you know, even even the big boys, Amazon has been tremendously impacted. They were not at all prepared from a logistics standpoint for the fast-paced ramp-up that they needed to respond to the increased customer demand. This was a demand that was really similar to what their traditional holiday season was, except that it has lasted for months. And when you think about that, typically Amazon would take about six months to ramp up for their peak holiday demand and hire hundreds of thousands of people. And at the onset of the pandemic and uh, the following months, they didn't have the time they needed to effectively do that ramp up, which, as you likely know, um, has resulted in shipping delays and out-of-stock items. And fortunately or unfortunately, depending upon which side of the table you're sitting on, this has resulted in their competition namely Walmart and Target, um, the ability to gain market share. And what I find really fascinating about this dynamic in what has caught Amazon off guard was that it it really was their lack of brick and mortar presence. So um, consumers were able to make online purchases with their retailer, i.e. Walmart or Target, Um, They were able to make their online purchases and then go physically pick up their products curbside, not having to come into contact with anyone. And unfortunately, Amazon doesn't have those 
brick and, and, and mortar locations. So again, it really allowed their competition to uh, eke up on, on market share. Um, Amazon's share of e-commerce fell by about three and a half percent in that January through June time. And at the same time, Target's share grew by about 1.3% and Walmart's increased by just shy of, of 1%. Um, further impacts in terms of what we're seeing and, and what we're keeping and paying close attention to, obviously many businesses have closed permanently because they just did not have the financial wherewithal to survive. And likely we are going to be seeing uh, many more of businesses tremendously impacted. Earlier this week, I read that uh, L Brands, uh, parent of Victoria's Secret and Bath and Body Works, they announced the permanent layoff of 850 people from its Columbus and New York corporate offices. We see this in, in addition to uh, lead brands such as designer brands, parent of design, designer shoe warehouse, who is laying off 250 corporate roles from its headquarter offices. So I think we all have been aware of the impact on the, the retail world. We're seeing it have tremendous impacts on the retail corporate world. And now many corporate office jobs are, are being permanently eliminated. So with those jobs being eliminated, you know, what, what, what impact does that have? Um, likely it's going to impact the commercial real estate industry tremendously. Commercial occupancy will be impacted in increasing vacant rate, vacancy rates will be seen. As the vacancy rates increase, um, that will result in downward pressure on rental rates. And in worst case scenarios, this is going to have, could have an impact in bank foreclosures on commercial, commercial office buildings. Which, if I try to, you know, switch that up and, and look on the bright side, could ultimately help businesses that are poised for growth and allow some aggressive real estate transactions to occur. Again, not wanting to be, you know, completely negative and being a, an optimist by, by nature, um, perhaps a, a positive relates to unemployment. As, as you know, unemployment, unemployment rates were at historic lows pre-pandemic. And this event has resulted in a workforce influx of really qualified people available to fill positions. I think what we see is, is uh, the key is going to be the successful identification and alignment of that available workforce with evolving positions, which we believe will be um, lend to some really interesting opportunities and we see communities and region, regions acting uh, very proactively to accomplish this goal in terms of that workforce alignment. So, you know, those are, I mean, some, some fundamental changes and some shifts uh, for, for some, uh, some major uh, companies. So how do you think that those changes uh, will affect business expansion plans? I mean, will they dampen 
or are they going to enhance and increase uh, expansions and relocations? Interesting to think about. Um, and really, I, I think the answer is, is both. Um, I think there are some expansion plans that will be dampened. I think there are others that are going to be enhanced. And of course, that depends on the industry uh, sector and also the ability to, to work remotely. Working from home is a big topic. Uh, this is an area that has impacted our clients. And we think that this shift could have long lasting impacts. We have clients that have uh, made the decision to not return to work until Q1 of 2021. Uh, and what they're sharing with us is, is, is that um, their productivity, they have not seen that that's been negatively impacted. Employees are adapting really well uh, to, to the new working conditions and in many cases thriving. Um, additionally, some companies are looking um, at an opportunity to reduce their operating costs through their um, office space lease requirements and, um, you know, the ability to lower uh, short and long-term operating expenses in this environment could really be a positive. Of course, the, the working remote model does not work for all industries, but there are many applications where it is working well. And I think from our perspective, some of those would be the financial and insurance services. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier about the, the corporate offices that are reducing um, their footprint. So for corporate and regional headquarters, and even in healthcare services, we're, we're seeing that work remote uh, model work, work fairly well. So as it relates to expansion on the expansion side, we are seeing a lot of activity, uptick in activity in life science and pharma companies. They are very anxious and moving forward with expansions and new locations expeditiously. And um, our thought in, in much of what we read is this likely ties to the global supply chain issues and the realization that contingency sourcing plans need to be in place so as to mitigate uh, further risk moving forward. I just was reading in a, uh, a site selection article about manufacturers with operations in China that were surveyed. And one of the questions that was asked was uh, to where are you considering or planning to relocate your China-based operations? And the response was interesting and it indicated that 74% would likely relocate within Asia, 53% or so to Mexico, 37% to the US, 21% uh, to other, and 11% to Central Eastern Europe. Uh, with some focus on in Poland. And so I think from our perspective, if this survey is accurate, then both the, uh, the U.S. and Indiana in particular, with its strength in manufacturing, really stands to gain by a potential influx of reshoring project activity. I'll give you an example of a project that our firm is currently working on um, the federal government really has renewed interest in bringing critical medical supply manufacturing back to the U.S. Uh, 
this project specifically addresses uh, amoxicillin and penicillin, which is almost entirely manufactured in China. Uh, so health issues have escalated the visibility that products such as, as these and, and many others really need to be manufactured closer to home domestically and, and more readily available. And then past expansion, there's this whole new industry, a slew of new products that are emerging as the result of, of COVID. So, so locally, I, I recently heard about um, a husband and wife duo team, microbiologists, Jason and Diana Brew, and they own an industrial engineering company. It's Brew Engineering. And um, what they are doing is, is they are designing and building integrated robots to kill germs in the workplace. So this is an example of a company that had very successful industrial engineering business. Um, they really went to work hard at trying to figure out a solution to, to a problem and that, that resulted because of the, the pandemic. And this has resulted in a great new, new business line for their company, new divisions specializing in large-scale disinfecting. And those large-scale disinfecting robotic uh, installations are being used at places like uh, airports and, and large warehouse facilities. To date, they've hired, I think, 20 new team members and uh, likely they will continue to grow. So those are just a, a few of the things that, that we're seeing um, related to the, the, the COVID effect. Well, I think, I mean, I, I really am pleased that you highlighted uh, uh, the, the engineering company just as, as a new opportunity, because I think that's something that gets lost in some of the bad news is, you know, that there are people who are finding those new opportunities. And then also we've had some discussion about reshoring, and I think there's been uh, skepticism about whether or not that reshoring opportunity is going to provide uh, uh, some uh, opportunities for Indiana or even the United States. So I'm glad you were able to highlight uh, that survey. So as I've been talking to many of our members around the state, you know, they indicate that they are still seeing some deal flow, that there's been a number of deals that have closed this year. Um, I would guess that some of those projects were things that were underway before the pandemic took hold. Uh, so what does deal flow look like to you currently? Oh, we, we actually just had a, uh, a team meeting um, this morning and it, it confirms, and I think that, that I would agree with the IEDA member um, observations in that, you know, most projects that we had in the pipeline at the, at the time where the shutdown really took effect, they, they have moved forward. I would say that some have moved forward with a bit of a twist or a little bit of a modification to the um, origi original project parameters. Um, we have a um, headquarters company that we work with in um, Miami, Florida, and their business has shifted tremendously in that they are utilizing 
underused assets. So think of large um, retail parking garages and parking lots, and they're setting up um, temporary food kitchens and allowing uh, food sources to be in closer proximity to urban, urban locations. That's not necessarily what their, their business growth was anticipating for 2020, but they were able to pivot very quickly and, and respond to it. So that's an example of project that was in the pipeline. They've very uh, quickly um, shifted um, their business model to be able to respond to pandemic uh, conditions. Um, we have had um, a few a few projects go on hold. Uh, one recently was um, related to this experiential type project, um, and and this is on hold, really definitively tied to COVID and the inability for people to be out and about and and interacting in in close proximity. The project didn't die. They they very much look forward and hope that it, it gets back on track and at this stage are contemplating early 2021 for that. Well, I think you've alluded to this, but, but maybe be a little bit more specific. It seems to me that, that the changes in the economy are affecting different industries in different ways. Um, and again, I think you've alluded to this, but maybe you can expand upon that. You know, Are you seeing that, that again, it's not affecting all in the same way, it's not affecting all negatively. It's not affecting all positively. Uh, so, so which industries are growing uh, and, and seeing some positive results from this? Yeah, so we, we've got some definitive thoughts on this. And I sort of overlaid our, our thoughts with a recent study that um, the Site Selectors Guild uh, consultants uh, participated in. And the industries with the most activity that we are seeing currently, um, no surprise, would be in the biotech and life sciences, um, advanced manufacturing, uh, electric vehicles. I just mentioned the company that was working on uh, the disinfected uh, robotics. So, so certainly the robotics within the advanced manufacturing, food and beverage, um, think about home food delivery. Um, home, home Chef has had just explosive growth. Home Chef was purchased by Kroger back in, in 2018. Um, and so within food and beverage, we're also seeing a lot of um, plant-based foods that have seen tremendous increases. Companies like NetPods, I'm not sure if you're familiar with NetPods, but it's a, a plant-based dairy creamer, um, tremendously popular. Another one that has seen tremendous growth is uh, Fourth and Heart, which is grass-fed ghee butter products. So again, those products that are healthier are appealing to the consumer base and with people eating at home more so than ever that food and beverage industry is really being positively impacted. Of course, transportation and, and, lo and logistics. Um, our firm works with uh, several large third-party providers who have both temporary and, and long-term needs for space. Um, one of our clients that we're just having a tough time keeping up uh, with is, is one that distributes Nike shoes. 
And these shoes are literally flying off, off the shelves. And um, they've done one expansion already and are contemplating additional just to keep up with this, this demand. And then I think um, another industry that is experiencing tremendous growth and likely will is the software and IT companies. Everybody's having to make adjustments, tough adjustments in some cases, uh, in both work life and and uh, and home life. And so, many of the software providers are are looking for a niche in this new world to provide some sort of essential service. And uh, a few software categories really stand out in terms of experiencing tremendous growth since since COVID. Um, according to Trust Radius, the top three rising categories include telemedicine software. So, you know, you need to see your doctor, not going to take the chance of heading into the uh, medical office space. So ramping up those telemedicine capabilities have, have been a, a tremendous asset and will continue to, to, to grow in the future. Electronic uh, signature software. You know, what do you do when you're not personally uh, interacting? You've got to modify. And so that electronic signature software has seen growth. And then web conferencing software. Lee, last time you and I got together, we were able to sit across a, a conference table and, and have that, that interaction. This time, how are we doing it? We're doing it through web conferencing and we're not the only ones. So those software companies um, that are um, uh, able to tap into the, to that growth are, are doing very, very well. Yeah, I can remember uh, how novel it used to seem to be uh, teleconferencing with anybody about anything. And, um, and I'm now surprised by anybody I encounter who doesn't seem to know how to do this. Uh, it's, it's amazing to me that anybody... Uh, professionally doesn't know uh, doesn't know how to do the web conferencing and yet I'm still running into people who are doing that but this is how most of us are spending our days right now I was just gonna say I think there's been a lot of innovation in that that web conferencing is as well and and the different tools and so every once in a while you know once a week or so maybe there'll be a new technology that we're asked to participate in that will thrill me for a minute but for the most part, I think you're exactly right. People have, have needed to respond and have done so pretty well. So one of the questions that comes up is, uh, you know, because of the pandemic um, and, and again, because we're, we're working differently, we're living differently. Uh, and of course, nobody knows how much of this is going to be permanent, but, but at least as you're talking to your clients um, and as they're thinking about expanding or relocating, are the questions that they are asking of communities, are there, is their criteria uh, for relocation changing? Are there new questions, uh, new, new expectations that they have as they're looking at uh, communities that they would relocate to? This is a, a really um, interesting question as, as well. And there have been some, some recent studies, um, one such with the, the site selectors, uh, Guild and um, to to quote them, um, they have said that suburbs and mid cities are in 
big cities are, are out. So I think the short answer to your question is, is, is that we're seeing a bit of a shift away from uh, tier one cities uh, to less populated second tier cities. Um, and the deal flow projection is, is that the more majority of projects will likely take place in the suburbs, followed closely by mid-sized cities, i.e. those cities that are less than oh, a million in population. And then I also think, we also think that rural communities will see a boost as well, which would certainly, um, you know, be a, a welcome opportunity. And I think those more rural communities that, that gear up and are ready to respond from a community readiness perspective um, will really be able to capitalize on some unique opportunities. Well, so I think that this next question is related to that a, a little bit. Uh, it's not so much maybe about the the criteria, but but as we're we're again thinking about changes that that have come out of this process. So so a few weeks ago, I did a podcast with Matt Hall from One Southern Indiana, and he had he was sharing that he had just like that week or the week before. They had done a, a Bluetooth uh, community tour where they had everybody in separate cars connected by Bluetooth so they could do social distancing and that they were gearing up uh, to do more virtual site visits. So, so do we think that that technology aspect, um, is that going to be a, a, a going trend or is that going to go away once we, we get back to whatever normal will look like? Well, you know, I, I think that that things are changing. I think things were changing a bit before the the pandemic. Um, and and you know, I Matt Hall is is great and I I give uh, the one Southern Indiana team kudos. That was a, a very creative approach or solution perhaps to a problem that they were having in doing a, a site tour. I'm not sure that that particular approach is sustainable, just even from an energy resource perspective. However, virtual tours um, are definitely becoming more popular and becoming more, more prevalent. Um, I, I will give you an example of that. And I've shared this with a few because it, it was really an awesome experience. Um, we recently participated in a virtual familiar, familiarization tour that was hosted by a regional economic development team in, in southern Idaho. And I could provide you with all sorts of details, but I, I won't. But what I, I will summarize with is, is that it was, it was really well coordinated. Um, it allowed great interaction with the communities. Um, there were both some pre-recorded aspects of it and in live aspects of it. There were a team of other site consultants that participated, and so we were all able to interact with one another, and it was great to see and kind of gain their perspective on some things that they were seeing in the industry. And there was a, a fun component. Um, so when you, when you add all of those up and you think about the time that was saved on everybody's part, you know, a familiarization tour, you're at least a day and a half, and depending upon where that is in, in the country. It, it may be longer than that. And in about an hour and a half, two hour time frame, 
I was able to get a tremendous amount of information about a region in the country that we know our clients have interest in. So it was just a really productive use of time. I was curious and I followed up with the community post uh, that, that, that virtual tour to kind of see what they thought, you know, was it successful from their perspective? And they said, absolutely, it was. Um, there were two kind of takeaways. One is, is that if there was somebody that really had high level of interest in coming to the community after that, they would certainly follow up with that invite. The other was the cost involved. You know, it saved them significant dollars in terms of flying all of those people in, paying for hotel rooms, great dinners. Um, so the short story is, yes, I do think that that things are going to change. Um, however, um, this is sort of a people business. So I still think there's going to be an, an interest in connecting more personally. Um, and hopefully as we move forward, we'll be able to do so. Well, so then, but, but then part of the message I take away from that is that the technology may at least at the, at the first stage may be a bit of a differentiator. So again, but it's also, I mean, I differentiator, but then also I know that our folks are, are concerned that going into next year as uh, local and state budgets may, may take some, significant hits, that they're also going to see that local budgets for economic development. We hope this doesn't happen, but that may may be a factor. And so it looks like, you know, thinking about technology and and how that becomes a leverage point may be a a critical thing for people to be thinking about. Yes, I I would agree with that. We've had some, some interesting opportunities. Um, you know, connecting um, with technology. Uh, One community sent us a pair of uh, VR goggles, virtual reality goggles, and we were able to view all aspect of the the community while sitting at at my desk. Um, And and it was, was great. I think if you have you know, tendencies towards vertigo, that might not be the best option. Um, but it, it really was a great way to kind of see quality of life, um, some of the, the real estate assets, um, and gain an appreciation for targeted industries that that particular community had an interest in, in pursuing. Um, yesterday, I sat in on a, a, um, a really interesting um, tour of a spec building that was done via a, a drone. And, um, you know, it gave me the opportunity to see the building from a 360 perspective. It gave the opportunity to see what was in, um, you know, the area in terms of adjoining land uses. And, and, and those generally, your, your boots on the ground in order to get that feel. So, you know, to your your point, those communities that are being proactive in those efforts to connect um, using technology, I, I think will in fact be differentiated from those that, that are not. Now, does that have an opportunity though to become uh, an overused gimmick for some folks or is that, does that become 
uh, I mean, it's, it's smart in that it does help save time and it does save money and it and it's more efficient. But then it's also one of those things where suddenly, you know, the, you know, the UPS truck is backing up to your office every day and unloading crates of virtual reality goggles. So, I mean, you know, how do how do you how do you approach that from your standpoint of it not becoming uh, you know trite and overused? Yeah, that that's a that's a great question, and I think um, there were it, it's not any different than how it was. There were always an ample um, ample invitations and opportunities to go travel for familiarization tours as, as well. And so, what you have to do is to be strategic in acceptance of, of those. Um, and as a general rule of thumb, our, our team are visiting those areas that we have a level of interest in, typically driven by what we know our clients have, have interest in. And I don't see that, that changing in terms of, hey, Leslie, would you like to participate in a virtual tour? Um, you know, if it makes sense, absolutely be happy to do so. If it doesn't make sense, I'm going to be okay with saying not a good time right now, but glad to know that that's an option and certainly we'll look for an opportunity if that, if that makes sense. Um, you know, we, we need to, to remain flexible and, and we need to remain adaptable. And, you know, I, I think that going back to a point that I made earlier, economic development has always been a business tied to relationships and traveling to trade shows and events that provide communities and regions and states with an opportunity to connect and talk uh, about their unique assets. I, I don't think that's going to go away forever. Um, I think that the opportunities will allow for those opportunities to, to connect personally. You know, this week I was, um, in my Miami County, um, touring the the Grissom Industrial Park and and talking with Jim Jim Ted, and he recounted um, they have a company there called um, the Dean Dean Baldwin, and they are uh, aircraft uh, industrial aircraft painting company. And I just was you know kind of curious. Obviously, the the Grissom former Air Force Base makes sense from it from from an aerospace. I was just curious how they ended up in, in Miami County, Indiana. And in really what it came down to was about being in the right place at the right time and initiating personal conversation. Um, obviously, there was a lot of technical expertise that came into play following that initial conversation. But had he not been at a show and, and initiated that dialogue, that connection might not have been made. Uh, at least as 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 early as it was. Well, so I think, uh, and I appreciate that. And 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 again, you know, it's it's curious from your perspective. You know, yes, it's a people business, but but how, <laughs> from your perspective as a site selector, you know, what do you see as as maybe some permanent changes? Um, th that may come out of all of this that, you know, we're not, we're not going to go back. Um, you know, it's been fascinating, for example, uh, when I've, when I've talked to, uh, you know, in our, in our terminology at IEDA, it's the seasoned uh, economic developers versus the, the, the new people coming into the, the field. 
they all talk about networking as being important, but how they look at networking and how they describe networking is very different. Um, and, you know, I think probably for uh, the younger cohort, networking does not necessarily have to be sort of that in-person or that face-to-face. Uh, is that is that wrong? And, and do we see, as do we see, uh, other sort of changes that may be coming out of this that will affect the economic development field? Uh, yeah, look, the, 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 the younger generation, they're doing a, a lot of things right, and they're very creative in their approaches. And I certainly would never say um, going away from that personal connection is, is, is wrong, um, I don't think it will be completely or should be completely eliminated, but can it be supplemented with technologies, the social media technologies, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook? Absolutely. Um, and I would venture to say that the smart ones are, are tapping into that to the, to the greatest degree possible. Um, you know, this is a great time for economic developers to really be proactively contemplating their, their business approaches. And, and one thing that, you know, we spend a lot of time doing is looking at, at websites. Um, We look at websites, not necessarily just because we like to look at websites, but we're looking at them um, doing arm's length research in advance of, uh, you know, presenting to the community a, a potential project. And, and so using technology to enhance websites that are going to be fresh and attractive to site consultants or businesses that may be browsing on their own um, new businesses that may be interested in the community and even existing businesses that want to learn more about growth opportunities within the community. I think those are ways that um, the use of technology can, can enhance um, whether you're a younger economic development or as you say, a more seasoned economic developer. Now, the one thing I, I, I would say is, is certainly the role of economic developers has, has been evolving um, this event likely has shifted roles and responsibilities even faster and maybe forever. Um, visiting with communities both virtually, like we're doing today and in person over the last, past couple of months, I, I truly have just been so impressed with um, the passion demonstrated, the commitment that economic development teams are are undergoing and making and ensuring that their existing businesses feel uh, and are very supported simultaneous to, you know, thinking creatively about um, community readiness, understanding that this too, this too pandemic shall pass. It's been uh, inspiring to, to see and travel around a bit, safely, of course. Well, yeah, and I think as I've as I've been visiting virtually with many of our members, and as we've been including them in some of the podcasts, it has been inspiring uh, to see the, some of the ways that they've been uh, responding, that they've innovated, uh, that they've connected with other resources in the community, 
And uh, they've really stepped up, uh, I think, their outreach to existing companies uh, and helping them, you know, n not only survive, but also look at opportunities to, to expand or do new things. So it, <laughs> to say that it is evolving. And again, you know, when, uh, you know, when we, if we would have been talking in February, you know, one of the biggest concerns we would have had was a 2% unemployment rate. And uh, boy, it's amazing how fast everything has changed. Leslie, I appreciate your time so much. Is there anything that uh, we didn't cover that you think we need to? Well, gosh, I, uh, I think we covered a lot. And again, I appreciate the opportunity. Lee, it's always great to uh, connect with you. And, and thank you. No, thank you. Uh, I this has just been great. I think this is uh, this is exactly the kind of information that I've I've been hearing our members uh, pondering and asking about. So this will uh, definitely be appreciated. Uh, so for this podcast today, this has been our second uh, my second conversation uh, with uh, Leslie Wagner, who is senior principal with Genovis. Um, we so appreciate your time and appreciate your, your engagement with IEDA. So, Leslie, thank you. Stay safe. Stay sane. Take care, Lee. This has been IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. All content in this podcast is copyright 2020 by the Indiana Economic Development Association and all rights are reserved. Mm -hmm.